The world ends in eight days, and I have no idea how to stop it. I'm Eddie Webb. And I'm Chris Spivey. And today we're going to talk about the Umbrella Academy here on Genreless. So before we begin, I, I want to say that uh, peek behind the curtain, uh, uh, Chris and I uh, have a video when we're talking to help us to kind of uh, uh, see each other's uh, faces and also so Chris know exactly when to strike to interrupt me at, at the appropriate moments. Uh, but something I've noticed is that uh, we play the music uh, while we're recording, we don't edit it in afterwards. And every time Chris and I end up grooving a little bit to the theme song, <laughs> every time it plays... So we picked a good theme was, song. We're still liking it. Sixteen months, like eighteen months later, it was a good find on your part. <laughs> I, you. on the other hand, merely vetted it, and he was like, "I got this song. I think it's really good." I was like, "Wow, that's great. Yeah, let's go." <laughs> Done. Let's go. Hooray for royalty-free music. I gave it deep thought and didn't at all consider our podcast would be done in two months. That not at all. <laughs> Yeah, actually, it's, it's funny, like, um, this run on Superheroes has taken longer than I thought the podcast itself might last, so <laughs> just this season is already longer than I thought it would be, so there we go. But we, we, we got lucky, well, you had a good talent for finding the music, and I got lucky just agreeing with you, so there we go. <laughs> but it's true, I mean, like, sometimes, you know, these things, it's like, can I stand to listen to this for hundreds of episodes you know you have to you have to worry and you've listened to each each theme song twice because you listen to it when i play it and then you listen again when you listen actually at the end four times because you listen to the episodes again after we record them and put them up so i like to hear all the things i did wrong so i can make a middle note to try to fix them later and then forget when we actually start podcasting i thought you were gonna say make men's notes to make sure i keep doing them as much as possible (laughs) (laughs) well that's just for the gags that i want to pull so i can repeat certain things three times which I've avoided doing, I think, for a couple episodes, just so I could bring it back. Right, you have to, you have to space it out. If it's too obvious, then you know it's not funny anymore. Because nothing, well, it's like when you. No, I say nothing's more funny than run a joke into the ground as much as possible. Well, it's like when you're doing horror, when you're writing for horror, you have to have everything. You have a big spike of horror, and then you go down. And you have other emotions and everything else, and you bring the horror back, and that's how it has power resonance. Or in the case of three times, it gets funny again. So if you horrify someone three times, it's funny. That's, that's what I'm hearing. Well, as a GM, it is for me. <laughs> uh, so we are in the middle of our season three, part C, um, where we're covering just stuff that isn't uh, the Netflix verse, nor is it the Arrowverse, but is the misfit of verse of not actually connected shows. <laughs> Speaking of which, we, and then I guess since we're doing behind the scenes peaks right now, <laughs> we, I also suggest to Eddie that we could add even more shows into yes. the Misfits, Misfit Averse, one of which I forgot that I left out that I remembered specifically because we're watching Umbrella Academy, is we could add in literally the Misfits. Oh, yeah, that's true. Because <laughs> one, one of the cast from this is also in the Misfits. Oh, right. I had forgotten about that. You're right. Just say it. Um, uh, so, so who knows? Uh, you, we may be having additional episodes that you didn't even know you weren't were going to have coming soon. 
bonus bonus episodes. Bonus 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 episodes. But we're here to talk about uh, the Umbrella Academy, which uh, is our second uh, indie creator-owned comic show that's based off of a comic. Um, uh, we talked about how Netflix uh, bought heavily into the Malar world stuff and how well that went. Uh, but I think part of the reason why it went well is because they also invested around the same time in the Umbrella Academy, and it did do very well. Uh, so to cover I would that also a little, the Umbrella Academy's budget is half or less of what Jupiter's Legacy's budget was. Probably, but I would argue it doesn't need it and is actually slightly better for it, but we'll get into that, I think, when we talk about the episodes themselves. Um, uh, but uh, Umbrella Academy is uh, done by uh, uh, Gerard Way and Gabrielle Ba. Uh, Gerard Way is uh, lead singer, I believe, of My Chemical Romance. I don't remember exactly off the top of my head. Definitely a musician. Uh, and uh, originally it was supposed to be just kind of six issues of a thing that would be cool. Uh, it did really well. Um, and so there were uh, subsequent um, uh, uh, volumes, if you will. Uh, I think each one was six issues. Uh, and then there was a huge gap. And then some more Umbrella Academy came after that. So very intermittent, very much kind of uh, these two people wanted to work together on a specific thing. Uh I will say that uh, uh, Way has said many, many times that a huge influence on Umbrella Academy was Brent Morrison's run on the Doom Patrol, which, if you're familiar with that run, is zero surprise to anybody who watches this. There's definitely strong Doom Patrol vibes. So, Eddie, what is the Doom Patrol? No, we should save that for when we actually talk about Doom Patrol. (laughs) We're not going to talk about Doom Patrol because we never say what shows we'll talk about beforehand. But okay. if I wanted a, a two-sentence explanation of the Doom Patrol, and I am going to check your sentence structure, so be prepared. I can do it. One sentence. It's next Ben ripoff. No, no, no. <laughs> uh, no. Um, uh, Doom Patrol was DC Comics's uh, uh, team of misfits that came out coincidentally around the same time as the original X-Men comic. Uh, and it basically features a uh, man in a wheelchair who pulls together a bunch of uh, of misfit superheroes and tries to get them pointed in the right direction, doing good things. But they end up involved in extremely weird adventures as a result. There's your two sentences. Perfecto. <laughs> uh, and but so, are you also saying that comic book companies would steal ideas from each other and try to replicate them without being sued? Because once again, the greatest villain of the universe, IP law. Have I, have I told you about Dennis the menace? I I am aware who Dennis the menace is and I know who Mr. Wilson is. Okay. All right. Um, This is related. I swear. Uh, There are two Dennis the menace characters simultaneously in production. There was one created in the U, a cartoon created in the U.S. and a cartoon created in the U.K. by two completely different artists. They released on the same day. They, they, they published in the same day in two different newspapers, one in the U.S., one in the U.K. Neither artist had any inclination. The other artist had was inspired by them. Neither artist was inclined to sue the other artists. So as a result, in IP law, there are two different 
coexisting Dennis the Menace comic strips that are completely different. That is un- unfathomable. No. Right. So that very much reminds me of the kind of Doom Patrol X-Men thing. Is like fans argue this a lot, but honestly, everything I've heard from creators has been that it was just a weird thing in the zeitgeist at the time, and they kind of came up with similar ideas and just kind of came out roughly at the same time. See, I guess as a conspiracy theorist on the show, has heard that DC had people tucked into Marvel and Marvel had people hidden into DC that would share their ideas that they were going to do beforehand. I do know that that is uh, how Secret Wars happened uh, because uh, Marvel got wind of uh, Crisis on Infinite Earths and decided to put out their version of that first. Uh, and you know, it's arguably not as good as Crisis on Infinite Earths. Uh, what, but, what beats a Hulk holding up a mountain? Well, I mean, it's not like we've ever seen that before, ever. <laughs> but I mean, Secret Wars did give us the Black Spider-Man outfit, which ultimately is why we had Venom. So you can decide for yourself if that is an improvement or not. <clears throat> Anyhow. I will not comment on that right now. We, ha- we have digressed. Um, uh, so uh, the Umbrella Academy, like I said, is a, uh, a limited series. Uh, it is a self-contained superhero universe. Uh, and it is very much in the vein of not only weird superhero uh, uh, mythos building, but also specifically kind of a what happens if the consequences of superhero actions are continued on rather than constantly being reset to a status quo. Uh, so we'll go over the um, the characters and a little bit of their... There's not much di- difference between the comic books and the uh, live-action versions, but there are a couple of changes, which I'll talk about. Um, I will state that, uh, like we talked about a bit with Jupiter's Legacy, this is 62 comics that was padded out to an entire season of TV show. Uh, although I would argue this was done much better than what Jupiter's Legacy was, but we'll get against that. Uh, but we have uh, the the uh, leader of the uh, Umbrella Academy, which is Sir Reginald Hargreaves, also known in the comic as The Monocle, although he's not given that explicit name in the show. Uh, and he adopts uh, seven children uh, of 43, which were born simultaneously on the same day, and spontaneously on the same day, uh, which includes uh, number one, a.k.a. Space Boy, uh, number two, uh, which is a.k.a. Uh, oh, is Diego's name in the comic? Uh, the Kraken. Uh, number three, uh, who is the rumor? Number four, who is the seance? Number five, who is number five? Number six, who is the horror? And number seven, whose code name would be a huge spoiler for the season, so I'm not going to give it. Uh, but known as Vanya. Uh, number one uh, is an astronaut. Luther, his chosen name, uh, is an astronaut with super strength. In the comic, he was actually, um, his head was attached to an ape's body. That was retconned somewhat for the TV show. Uh, in the TV show, more, and this is an episode we didn't get to, but basically he, his body was changed through genetic science, blah, 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 blah. But in the comic, he literally had his head cut, chopped off and stuck on an ape's body with a diver's helmet because comics uh number two diego is a knife expert and crime fighting vigilante not much changes there he's really really good with knives uh 
Uh, number three, uh, Allison. Uh, she's a celebrity who can verbally coerce people into what you want as long as she prefaces with, I heard a rumor. Uh, number four is Klaus, uh, who can speak with the dead and is an ostentatious drug addict as a result. Uh, number five, whose name is only number five, uh, and he is a time traveler who is trapped in a 13-year-old's body. Uh, number six, uh, who is Ben, who is also dead as of the, both the comic and the TV show. Uh, but when he was alive, he could summon extra-dimensional monsters. And number seven, which we need to talk about a little bit. Uh, so uh, number seven in the show is played by Elliot Page. Uh, Elliot Page uh, transitioned into a trans man uh, during the course of this show. Uh, Netflix, to their credit, has changed all of Elliot's credits to his proper name now, which I deeply respect. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Elliot has said in interviews that he is okay with uh, his character being referred by uh, the character's original name and gender when discussing it in the context of the show. Uh, so the season we're watching, uh, uh, the character is referred to as Vanya, but uh, by season three, uh, the character becomes Victor. Uh, and it actually has some of my favorite episodes of this entire run where Victor comes out to his family and explains who he really is and how they react to it in various ways. Really great stuff, but we're sticking to season ones for all of these. So that is what it is. So throughout all of this, I'll refer to number seven as Vanya just for clarity. Uh, but understand that Vanya is a trans man. Uh, and then there's Pogo, who is a talking chimp. Because... In these kinds of comics, you need to have a talking chimp, apparently. A chimp butler, I should clarify. He's a chimp butler. So I've never read any of these comics, and this is the first time us watching this that I've seen this show. So I've only Uh seen three episodes of it. This is the, I think, the first episode we've ever come in, other than Ginlock, that I have known nothing. (laughs) It is a a strange feeling. Is it better than Ginlock? Well, anything's better than (laughs) Ginlock. But still, if we have a new low, we just stop recording and say, there was no episode. <laughs> <laughs> Basically. That's when we'll do a repeat of a previous episode that we liked. Right. There we go. So we'll people should get ready for new a lot of... again. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's exactly where it's going. <laughs> um, so uh, uh, for me, uh, The Umbrella, uh, it was one of those where I saw the show first, then went back and read The Umbrella Academy comic. Um I like the Umbrella Academy comic personally. Um, again, it very much channels that uh, weirdness of the Silver Age for me, uh, combined with a kind of Mike Mignola style resignation and paciness that I liked. Um, you definitely see uh, uh, Gabriel Ba's style it has some uh, uh, modern, moder- moderate to strong Mignola influence, that kind of very heavy, simple black lines, which I like. Um, and the show is obviously an expanded version of the comic, but it's not a strong derivation. It, it more or less follows the plot of the comic. Season one more or less follows volume one. Season two more or less volume, follows season two. Volume, seasons three and four are getting further away from the comic, but at that point in time, they've established some groundwork. Speaking of Vignola, we should really do a, a Hellboy speechless run. Just Honestly, put that, that out there I- for... I would not be against that because I, I bought a whole bunch of uh, Hellboy a few years back on Comixology, back when Comixology was on a flaming trash fire. So so if you're listening and you like that idea, let us know. Yeah, probably in the Darker Hue Discord is the best way to reach at least me. Indeed. indeed. Uh, so since you've not read the comic, I assume you have no comments about the comic. <laughs> so in my opinion, 
they should have made it seven issues for each one because seven is the magic number that everyone I could go on for another 20 minutes if you want about just number no, seven. No, I do not. <laughs> all right. No, I, I have no real feedback at all on the comic. Other than uh, I am not surprised by your comment about uh, Space Boy's head now being attached to the body of a uh, ape. Talking apes were just a thing to self-rage. I don't know why. Episode one. We only see each other at weddings and funerals. Side note. First show in a very long time whose first episode title was not just pilot. In 1989, 43 women simultaneously give birth despite showing no prior signs of pregnancy. Seven of the children are found and adopted by eccentric billionaire Sir Reginald Hargreaves, who raises them as a superhero team. Hargreaves calls the children by number, one through seven, but Grace, their android mother, gives them names. Years later, surviving children are grown and reluctantly reunite for Hargreaves' funeral. The monocle that he always wore is missing after his death, leading Luther, number one, to suspect foul play. Number five, who disappeared 14 years before, appears in a ball of blue energy, claiming to have returned from the future. He has his 13-year-old body, but claims he is 58 years old. Tensions emerge amongst the siblings, and Diego, number two, gets into a fight with Luther that destroys the statue of their dead brother, Ben, number six. Later, five is visiting a donut shop when several armed men appear and open fire. After killing the men, he removes a tracker embedded in his arm. It is revealed that Diego has the monocle and that Klaus, number four, can talk to Ben's ghost. Five warns his estranged sister Vanya, number seven, that the world will end in eight days. And we talked last time about Jupiter's Legacy about how it was kind of a struggle to get everyone crammed in. There was a lot of ground they had to cover and it kind of felt like it was flat and rushed. And I feel like this episode is almost the opposite of that because it trots out nine characters, which is numbers one through seven, uh, Hargreaves and Grace, although Grace is not dealt with very much. And very efficiently paints a picture of all seven characters. You get a very strong opinion of what each character is, a, a glimpse into what their power set is or could be in the case of Ben's. Uh, and what their personalities are, how they relate to each other, all within 50 minutes. This is honestly an extremely efficient pilot, in my opinion. Before diving into that, I do want to point out that Jupiter's Legacy's first episode also had a, a title that wasn't pilot. It was by Dawn's Early Light. Oh, I thought so, it had pilot. Okay, my, my apologies. All right, so the second episode in a very long time did not have the word Just pilot. before... Our one listener calls us out. I want it to be established that we already understand that. And we we salute you for listening close enough to call us out. But Thank you for your service. I, <laughs> <laughs> I agree. But I also understand that for Jupiter's Legacy, though, they had to put in super fights. That was one of their big things they needed to do if they're going to have people running around in superhero costumes. And that ate up a lot of time. Compared to this, that is paced, I'm going to say slowly, which I like but it may not appeal to everyone. Like the slow pacing of it allowed them to introduce the characters, get more into the actual drama and invest us in those characters more. While Jupiter's legacy was very pretty to see the superhero fight, but it lacked depth and meaning kind of how for um, your favorite show legends, Rory and Mick are so great because they have depth and character over flash. It goes back to that same conversation that I've noticed we've had now three times in a row. This mm -hmm. time, not funny, but this time, poignant. Right. And I, you bring up a really good point that um, ultimately this is not a superhero show in the traditional mold. Um, this is a show about 
these seven children and them trying to exist in a world that hates and fears them to, to pull a line from X-Men. But I mean, it, you could see the strong X-Men doing patrol if you're familiar with it, but really a, a bunch of superpowered teenagers are brought into a reclusive school by a headmaster who's training them to do good in the world. There's very strong Charles Xavier X-Men vibes here. Uh, and this show is like, okay, but what happens if that was a terrible idea? Uh, and it implies, at least at this part of the show, that they're probably the only – I mean, there's only 43 superpowered individuals in the whole world, as far as we can tell, uh, assuming that these seven are all accurate. And that's one thing that's an interesting point is that uh, number seven is, is not special, according to other people. Uh, and that becomes a, a regular point is that six, only six of them had very obvious superpowers, and one of them is now dead. Uh, so we don't know if all 43 actually have comic book style superpowers or not, but the point is that this is a pretty low powered superhero universe. And so we have the time to, like you said, there's less budget. First of all, there aren't people flying. Uh, there aren't a lot of superpowered theatrics. Like one of the most physically powerful characters is Luther and his strength is maybe just two or three times human maximum. It's not gigantic. Uh, so it allows more space for these characters to interact and they're just people. They're flawed. They're fucked up. They have problems. They're occasionally funny, occasionally heartwarming and occasionally just assholes to each other. And it feels very real. Out of the six powers that we know of, which power set would you want? If it was uh, you living with these powers. Honestly, I mean, like, uh, uh, in terms of like, you know, oh, I mean, obviously I like to be super strong. That, that's great. But, but Allison's is kind of the best. <laughs> it's like, just, you know, I heard a rumor that you would give me money and then just give me money. You know? <laughs> <laughs> it's, but the one thing I like is that the show shows the, the downsides to all of these powers, which is really, really cool. Um, we talked a little bit about how mind control can be terrifying to other people in Jupiter's legacy. And now we're seeing how having mind control can actually ruin your own life, which I'd like to too. Yeah. Um, so uh, we start with kind of a relatively short flashback. And, and it was, I was kind of, I had forgotten the whole Russian swimmer gives birth in the middle of an Olympic pool moment. It was very <laughs> surreal and weird, but it sets a tone for the show of like, this is just, it's going to be a little off the wall, but not in a wacky way, but in a kind of what the hell way. Uh, and then we see a uh, Hargreaves who's clearly eccentric, uh, just going up to people like, I'll take the child. How much do you want for it? Because that's what a white man would do in that circumstance. <laughs> do I, I'm not even going to do it. I don't even have to do it because this is just ridiculously over the top and I'm going to let that one go. Like, I mean, but I mean, the one thing I do like about the show is that the show does not in any way portray Hargreaves as a good person. <laughs> he's, he's just an asshole who has a lot of it's, money. It's sort of what Marvel has also done with Xavier. They've over the years they've evolved that Xavier is in fact as evil as you've always thought he probably was. Mm -hmm. Right. Although now he's apparently kind of good again. It's it's a whole thing. X Men. Who knows? Uh, but like, I mean, again, this guy. 
just doesn't bother to name the children. He just gives them numbers. Uh, I, and- I'm sorry. I, I need to take a minute to, to talk about two very specific things that I would like some context for if it's in the comic. Sure. First, Grace, who is awesome. That actress is doing like stellar work with yes. the few lines they've given her. And I think the name is Pogo. Where yes. did these two characters come from? Did Hargrave build Grace? Yes. Is Pogo Hargrave an experiment that Hargrave did in this in his past? Also, time? yes. Those, those are both those are both exactly accurate. Um, uh, Pogo was an experiment that Hargraves uh, did, I believe, in an attempt to try to reverse engineer the powers he found in individuals. Uh, and Grace was built simply because he did not have the time to do with putting up with children's bullshit. So he literally and- threw a machine at the problem. If I'm if I'm not mistaken, that is not at all in the show, and that is just me. Uh, no, they, they, well, the, um, we do see a bit of what happens with Grace in episode three, and that becomes a bit of an ongoing thing for the rest of the season. Uh, but Pogo's all Pogo says is, um, "If it wasn't for your father, I wouldn't be here." Kind of thing. Um, but no, he made Pogo. Okay. Uh, and, and also this sets up kind of the underrunning theme of Underworlds or Umbrella Academy as a whole, which is that on various levels, Hargraves is the villain. Even when the characters don't want that to be true, even when other characters briefly take the role of the villain, ultimately it all goes back to Hargraves. So... This episode is interesting going back and watching it. And I, I don't think it's really a spoiler to say Hargreaves is the villain because none of these three episodes paint Hargreaves in any way, shape, form flattering. Um, uh, but it's interesting to see, again, characters that we care about struggling to reconcile a person that they on some level love and this person that they on some level recognize is genuinely not a good person. I think that was kind of a given though, when he shows up to someone to buy their children. That right, we, we've we, lost all, all moral ambiguity goes away at that point. I mean, you say that, but also we did spend 10 episodes talking about armor wars. So <laughs> it's good to really reinforce that. I think it is the same thing for all our Star Wars fan about the Jedi who show up and take your children away from you to go put them in a monastery, teach them the force. Right. Right. Exactly the same. There's no, there's no difference. Um, so, uh, the, the, we see a brief, uh, episode of all of them, um, getting notification that we, we don't know at the moment, but we didn't find out that Hargreaves has died. So they're coming back for the funeral. Um, and yes, in the comic, number one is stationed on the moon. And I don't want to spoil later episodes, but it's even worse than you think it is as to why he's on the moon. Because <laughs> I'm, I'm giving the show a lot right now right. because it is not making any sort of, I'm not going to say logical, it's not making any clear connections to why things have happened and how they're getting to and fro. And we've already established that in my brain, I like to have all those connections established early on so then it's easier for me to give you more later on but now you're asking for all that give up front right and i i think it's fair um one of the conceits of the show is that um what hargreaves is up to is an ongoing mystery uh that 
one of those that you think you solve it, and then there's actually another layer, and you think you solve it, and there's another layer, and, and so on and so forth. Um, for example, a very mild spoiler for season three, although it is it was in all of the advertisements of season three, um, Hargreaves made a separate academy called the Sparrow Academy when the Umbrella Academy didn't work out. <laughs> so he's that kind of asshole. <laughs> Some people would say that's a planner, but I understand what you mean. <laughs> right. Um, so, uh, uh, all of the six living children are, are ultimately brought together to the mansion. Uh, and they start to, we start to see the conflicts, uh, uh, between them. Uh, the major ones being that, um, Luther was sent to the moon and therefore has missed most of his brothers and sisters, uh, lives, even though he is ostensibly the leader. Uh, oh, also the other thing is that, um, the children, the numbers are also their ranking order uh so number one is the leader uh number two is underneath him in authority which is why diego and him constantly fight and three and so on so hargreaves gave them an org chart as their names so another just layer of fun for this character uh but yeah, so 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 uh, uh, that uh, luther's branch been missing uh diego is being secret batman uh um Number three tried to have her own life, and that has now fallen apart. Uh, number four uh, has been in rehab enough times to where the people who checked him in know him by name. Uh, number five has been missing, and number six is just trying to salvage her life when she wrote an expose novel or, or, or biography about the Umbrella Academy, who were positions to be – I think at this point it's, it's mentioned but not clear uh, that the Umbrella Academy were basically – the Teen Titans, you know, they, they were a, a, a teenage superhero team that was well-loved and respected uh, by the community. And we don't know how number six got killed, right? Does no. that come out? That does come out. Okay. Spoiler, it's because of Hargreaves. <laughs> so but before we even, before I get into any of my other thoughts on the show, I will say one thing, and this is what I love and which is likely also because it was written by the one of the leads of Mike Book Romance is it the music in this show. Oh God, yes. It is spot yes. on. I was singing all the songs and they came out and I was right in it. Chef's Kiss. I, any show that has the pure brass to do a shootout scene and use They Might Be Giants as the theme song and it works. It somehow, why Istanbul and Constantinople works for a gunfight? I don't know, but it is amazing. <laughs> <laughs> it's not even that when I watched the episode where they were playing Bella Lugosi's Dead, I listened to that a few hours beforehand <laughs> when I was out walking my dog. It's like, oh! And Jill had to hear me sing it even as it popped up again. So it's <laughs> yes, yes, perfect. Um, uh, so anyway, so uh, five comes back from the future. Uh, five is uh, fifty-eight years old, but in the body of a thirteen-year-old. And again, props this actor. This young actor who I think now, like in his early 20s, uh, but he was like in his late teens when he got the job, really pulls off the swagger and irritation of an old man extremely well. It was very believable that he was a 58-year-old man. And one of the things that I really liked about the episode is when Five came back is they showed you the image of an older man mm -hmm. before they drop back to Five which adds validity to what five is saying. Cause as we watch over the course of the show, five lies whenever he needs to, to anybody to get oh, yeah. stuff done. So um, that helps us as a viewer believe 
their story more. Uh, it's it's interesting because watching this again when this in this format, um, it does remind me a bit of some of our discussion around uh, Jessica Jones season one because it was another example of an analog for the Doctor uh, portrayed through superhero lens. In this case, as a villain. With five, we have a similar one. Here's another analog for the Doctor uh, in the fact that he lies and is trying to do time shenanigans. Uh, so there's another kind of of comparison, but this is one who intentionally trying to divorce himself from human company and, and very much doesn't want people to be around. Uh, and why that is becomes an ongoing threat. But I mean, that's, that's it. But to your point, that's what this whole episode is. This whole episode is the plot and the character arcs are inextricably wound together in this show. Uh, with Jupiter's legacy, you could theoretically swap other characters in and have the main beats still kind of happen. Uh, there may be different reactions and different consequences, but generally speaking, the plot more or less occurs regardless of what characters are involved. With this, the plot doesn't do anything until these characters do something. So everything that happens in this show is because of these characters. So it is very, very strongly character-driven. And so we have to spend the entire episode just setting up what these character arcs are. Uh, but again, little bits like you get the names and the you get their uh, grace-given names and then their numbers underneath of it when you see a strong moment with them. Then having number five appear with number five, number five is a nice little gag. And then at the very end um, where we see Klaus talking to Ben and we see that Ben is in fact number six. Um, it's, it's a very way of, of tiny little mysteries, uh, but also really establishing all of these characters in their appropriate context. And when they first show up, it is nice how they give us whatever their opening scene is, is a true reflection of their entire character. Mm-hmm. how like number one on the moon looking at earth sort of has like that distant longing that's right there uh number two who's literally saving a family and then you get his, their interactions with the police and number three who's on a on a walkway is a celebrity like all of that is who they are and they continue to show that through the three episodes which i think is a very nice touch it Indeed. instantly gets you into their mindset yeah i i i, I can't say enough about this but we should probably move on. Do you have anything else about episode one that you want to talk about? Um, nah, I can wait because there's a point I want to make, but it's more pertinent to a different episode. Okay. Episode two, Run Boy Run. Vanya thinks Five's mind has been corrupted by time travel and that the world will not really end. Agents Cha-Cha and Hazel arrive at a motel and begin to track their targets. Luther learns that Diego had a boxing match at the time of their father's death, which rules him out as a suspect, and Vanya meets her latest violin student, Leonard. Partly assisted by Klaus, number five tries to find the origin of a prosthetic eye he found in the future, knowing its owner will soon destroy the world. The brothers learn, however, that the eye is yet to be manufactured in the present. Five is Spartan sword to see Dolores, a store mannequin who has been expanding for 30 years, and is attacked by Cha-Cha and Hazel. Diego's former friend, Detective Udora Patch, investigates the deaths at the donut shop, but her only witness has already been interrogated by Diego, masquerading as a police officer. As Allison watches old surveillance videos from her childhood to cheer herself up, she finds a disturbing tape of her father. It is revealed that in the apocalyptic future, five found the siblings dead and removed the prosthetic eye from Luther's clutch. And now we're seeing the other big kind of piece of the Umbrella Academy. So the Umbrella Academy is also secretly a time travel show. A lot of the Umbrella Academy revolves around time travel in a way that is 
evocative, but very different than the Loki TV show, to my mind. Um, so this is timey-wimey nonsense played out over a very long stretch of time. So we're really kind of digging into the mystery and the consequences of like how the world ended and what's going on and what happened to five and whatnot. So, so five is kind of in some way, I won't say he's the protagonist, but he is kind of the linchpin to a lot of the actual plot plot that happens to the show. This episode was incredibly telling and gave me additional context that I needed as a viewer. Mm -hmm. I would almost have wished that instead of doing three episodes, how they did this, Mm -hmm. it was almost three episodes that were one without any sort of breaks in between. Almost mm-hmm. how the Voltron did where they had the first three episodes as a little mini movie. Right. Because uh, after watching the first episode, if I wasn't in the vibe for it, I would have stopped watching. But it resonates with like everything I like in a show. So they they had me for at least a good four episodes. I think we've already established kind of my, my trend. And that's actually kind of why I wanted to do just the first three episodes. Um, a, because you're right. It's, it's kind of a three-part pilot. Um, but more accurately, the whole season is, again, we've talked about before, is just is really one long movie. Um, and you can't really drop out episodes without missing a decent chunk of the plot. And this show doesn't really do an episode plot and then subplots. They're all kind of just braided in over one two, or interwoven through. But also separately, I did not want you to miss Jaja and Hazel. <laughs> <laughs> Because it is always great to see Mary J. Blake. Yes. Yes. Oh, I was so happy. I was like, is that Mary Blight? Holy crap, that's amazing. And Cha-Cha is fantastic in this. And But back to the, the time travel thing is that it helped me re-sort of like adjust to how long the time frame really was. Because when we had five jumping through time and they lived somewhere for 58 years, Then I, of course, automatically thought there was decades that went by before whatever the event was that potentially happened. But instead of seeing the bodies and he takes the the prosthetic eye from number one, shrunk all of that down to like to make it more pressing and urgent. Right. I I, I agree with you. Like the the one edit that may change is to me put that stinger uh, at the end of episode two and moved it to episode one. That would have, Mm -hmm. I think, maybe, you're right, kind of collapsed why this is urgent a bit more. Um, But again, that's that's just how television is made these days, for good or for ill, Um, is that – I was actually talking about this on a Discord with someone – is that television is just made fundamentally differently. When we were growing up, an episode had to live or die on its own on some level. And and certainly some episodes were not great. That's just the nature of the beast. Uh, But – even for a heavily serialized show, a discrete episode needed to do something on its own. Uh, so when we get to the heavy serialized parts of like, say, Voyager or Deep Space Nine, um, there was still something happening inside that 45 minutes that, that hung together. Uh, and streaming shows just aren't made that way, ex- with very rare exceptions. They're just kind of, this bit happens and this bit happens, this bit happens, and at some point in time, they kind of arbitrarily cut uh, around around 50 minutes in and then they move on to the next bit of things happening um but it's almost more frustrating with the show because you can see more or less of an arc in each episode like the people who made this maybe were used to making television in that mode and maybe were it was edited differently or they were talked out of it or something happened in rewrites because 
the first one is very much kind of let's introduce the family and uh, uh, that whole episode centered around Hargraves, even though he's dead, the whole episode's about him. And the second episode's all about five. And the third episode is all about grace. Uh, so, I mean, you know, if you look at it from my perspective, these episodes do hold together, but you're right that key pieces are kind of moved around for kind of artificial uh, cliffhangers to get people to go to the next episode when they don't necessarily thematically quite fit there. But I've just kind of accepted that's just how TV is made now. I don't think it's necessarily a failure of the show. I think it's just almost more frustrating because the show is really pretty spot on in a lot of its pacing. And so occasionally these bumps happen, it's like, oh, that's more noticeable. Whereas with Tuber's Legacy, it's like, okay, this is just how it is. And a, a lot of that is due to the age of streaming where now if you miss an episode, you can just watch it when you get home or in the right. next morning compared to when we're growing up. If you missed it, you missed it until we hopefully – got repeats in the summer or you managed to track down a $50 VHS tape with two episodes on it. Oh God. Yes. Oh God. And part of me, well, I don't miss the rare scarcity of being able to do that. I do miss the fact that they were written in a manner that they had to function as an entire piece alone. Mm -hmm. And they were plot hooks that went into other things. I, I do miss that aspect of it a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I do want to talk about uh, uh, Cha-Cha and Hazel a little bit. Um, it, it's not explicit in these three episodes. It becomes explicit shortly after this point, but it's implicit in these episodes that they are time-traveling assassins. Uh, there's a throwaway reference to a cold case 1938 in this episode. Next episode, there's a small comment about their ballistic their bullets being minted in the 60s. Um, so, so they are time-traveling assassins working for a shadowy agency, and they're looking for five specifically. Um, minor spoiler five was also a member of their agency which is the reason why they're tracking him down because I think there's a reference here about we have to go after one of our own so I mean again it's it's I'm, I'm just filling in gaps that were kind of implied already but I think it shows kind of how efficient this show is I mean it's like we've, we've got the Umbrella Academy we've got six different superhero types we've got time travel and now we have a time traveling agency that's involved somehow and we're only two episodes in. This does the same thing that like Jupiter's Legacy is trying to do with broad superhero types. Like, you know who Superman is, you know who Wonder Woman is, so we can fill in the gaps here. And we thought it wasn't earned because they're writing this legacy. This does it differently in the sense of you know how superhero worlds work. So we don't have to explain why this is. There's just a talky monkey fucking accept it. But we will tell you how this specific version of it works and how these characters work. And I feel like this earns it better than Jupiter's legacy did as a result. Uh, I totally agree. But part of that, the, one of the reasons I agree so much is that Jupiter's legacy, when they did it assumed made a lot of assumptions and then they winked at us. This does not wink at us. This is like, this is a drama show. These are the elements that we're putting in the drama show and we're acting for this prestige show that we're making. Yeah. And if you're a genre fan, you will ride along with us. If you just like drama, you're coming with us. But mm -hmm. we're not we're not lowering the bar. And that's what it felt like the other show did and this didn't. And that is why I, I'm going to, if you haven't guessed, I'll front load it. I really enjoyed the show. I watched the show, the three episodes inspired me that I want to watch the rest of it if I find time, which it has moved to be, it's number three in my slot of shows I want to watch is how much I wow. enjoyed it. Wow. Because of the pacing, the music, the character development, and the ongoing plot. All of those have to be written in a very certain manner for me to really 
move a show like up to a bar. And this is at my a bar now because it did all of that. And it has me invested in these characters as people. And I care mm-hmm. about like where their stories are going to go. Right. I'm glad to hear that because I, I feel the same way. This is one of maybe six shows that as soon as a uh, season drops, my family, we immediately start streaming it. Um, first season was like, ah, oh, we'll get around to watching this. And we did. And then ever since that seasons two and three, it was just, Oh, it's, Umbrella Academy's on, boom, watch it. Um, I suspect Wednesday is going to be the same way as soon as the season two Wednesday drops. can make, boom, we're going to go ahead and watch this. Um, so it's one of the few shows that we're all really invested in. Um, and I think part of it is there's a very narrow band of characters who are funny but serious. And this show does – Marvel, I think, goes a little too far in the – Here's the situation. So we make a joke and diffuse situation that that this show I think does a better job of it because the characters sometimes make jokes. That's because the stakes are so high and the tension is so unrelenting. And also because those same characters will then have very serious dramatic arcs. Like Klaus is kind of the comic relief that he's in quotes, but also Klaus is a very tragic character. He is on drugs because that's the only way he can stop the voices of the dead constantly screaming at him. That is horrifying. He sees his dead brother constantly, and his dead brother judges him constantly. It's like, yes, if if drugs were the way that I could find to obliterate that, I might do the same thing. And his behaviors are those of a drug addict. He steals from his family. He lies about it. He does whatever it takes to get his next fix. Those are the horrible realities of people with drug addiction. So his addiction is never played for laughs, even though he himself tries to be humor and you realize the humor is coming from a place of him trying to have people discount him so that he can go back to the things he needs to do, which is getting his next fix. Absolutely. And you've touched on it a couple times so far, but I want to point out that this does the thing that I love the most is that superpowers are great, but they also have their own drawbacks. And those drawbacks mm-hmm. aren't just that it, I have to, as a flash, I have to eat all eat a whole bunch of Wheaties to keep running. I don't need to get more calories, but it's actual how it impacts your impacts your life and the human foibles that I would use my power to make my life a little bit easier. How we get with number three, mm-hmm. and then paying the cost for that, or for number four, having to constantly hear the dead talking to you, mm-hmm. and those are not happy things. And you get to see that, and then for four. You also get to see four. One of the images we have of four coming back is that the drugs they're taking are risking killing them. Like we, mm-hmm. he wakes up in an ambulance with all the stuff on him to show that there was almost no more four. Like that is powerful and impactful. And for Marvel, every character can't be Spider-Man. Yeah. Otherwise, Spider-Man, Peter Parker, Spider-Man loses that thing that makes Peter Parker so cool. If everyone makes those jokes. Absolutely agree. Um, uh, we haven't not talked much about uh, number seven much, uh, and that's because number seven is kind of going through another character arc through the margins. Uh, but one thing that was telling for me is that when, again, when I first watched the show, um, uh, uh, I, you know, Elliot had not transitioned yet, uh, and so going back and watching, it's almost obvious now that uh, Vanya is going through the stages of identifying as a trans man, uh, the way that uh, uh, she carries herself, um, the way that she dresses, 
uh, it's like, yeah, I was, oh yes, I could see a lot of the journey that some of my trans friends have gone through. Uh, and also that whole sense of people overlooking you or being mad at you or discounting you because you don't fit into what the rest of the family or the rest of their friend group thinks you should be. That alienation is also, from what my friends, friends have told me, very strong. And so while I in no way think that that was written to be a trans narrative, it is amazing how well that stacks. And I have to feel that Elliot probably had some input on that portrayal to, to get that to line up a little better uh, to the eventual uh, uh, transition in season three. Uh, anyway. Uh, uh, oh, yes. And also we see um, uh, Dolores. I, I like the fact that uh, episode starts with five going, no, 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 I'm fine. And then like talking at length to a st uh, store dummy. And it's like, no, five is not okay. Um, but it goes back to, you said that, that the cost of, of, of powers is that uh, five does not have complete control over his time travel and also is not entirely there. And your, your mention of, of number seven did make me remember though, that it was a nice touch that we have seven teaching violin to other, to I'm assuming kids from a later episode yep. from episode mm -hmm. three, when the other person shows up and that's sort of a, another moment of isolation that you get for that character. But whenever that character interacts with anyone else, they're trying to uplift the other characters they're engaging with and trying to give them to have some sense of peace together. Right. Um, Almost as a mediator. Seven is, is really the heart of the family in a lot of ways. Uh, and, in the, and that's in a very almost explicit way. A lot of times talk about, oh, this is the heart of the team. Um, but in this case, it's the, that, that really is Seven's role. Seven's role is that Seven wants this family to be back together, recognizing that uh, uh, Vanya made some decisions that may or may not be, be have been good. Uh, but everybody else is thinking about themselves on some level. Uh, uh, Luther is trying to be the leader and the detective find what happened to dad, despite everything else. Uh, Diego is trying to be Batman. Um, number three is trying to get her, her life together, so on and so forth. And seven's like, we should be a family. We, we, we should, we should mourn as a family. We should consider this as a unit. We should talk uh, and continually gets pushed aside by the other members of the family, uh, at least for these first couple episodes. And so it's 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 great that even though Vanya has no powers that we know of, she has a role in this at this point, and it's a very clear character role. And it's not a marginalized role either. It, it's a role that is expanded because everybody else refuses to accept it. Nobody else wants someone in this role, and by Vanya's continuous assistance to put herself in this role, uh, that makes her the non-powered character a bigger piece of it, which is hard to do in superior narratives. How many times do we have the non-powered sidekick just kind of be shoved off to the side? Uh, but, but that doesn't happen here. And, and it, 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 part of this helps by the fact that we do see, have some significant screen time to, uh, you know, finding a violin student and, and uh, kind of falling, falling for them a little bit and the struggles of dealing with being, you know, a third chair and all of that. But that's, that's interesting investment because we care about, number seven's emotional arc. You, you went and touched on the thing I was going to wait for, but okay. the comment in the bathroom about being a third chair for that long and finding something you care about, mm -hmm. that was a, a devastating scene to witness. Like that was mm -hmm. 
amazing acting. And I wanted to make sure we mentioned that whenever we got there, because that is astounding. Yeah, because that could have been played as in the lead was being the mean girl and tearing Vanya down, but it wasn't. It was played almost like I'm exasperated, but also I do want you to do better. It's just not here, which Mm -hmm. is even worse, frankly. (laughs) It's even harder to hear. And you can see on number seven's face, the cold acceptance and pain of agreeing with that comment to know that like, this really isn't what I want to be my thing, mm-hmm. but not knowing what to do. And to, I guess two. to go back, oh, to go, go back to episode two, since that mm-hmm. was in episode three to go back to episode two, the offhanded comment between Pogo and number three, when number three starts watching all the videotapes yeah. and says, why is number seven over there by himself? And Pogo's like that. Uh, that's how they always were. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And to have that just, it's an offline, but it's like a slap in the face that doesn't do any, it sits there, but is, then we move on quickly. Right. And even worse is that you can see Allison feels bad about that. You can see it on her face. And then the next line, she's forgotten about Vanya. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, she, she feels bad about it and still does it. Um, and it's, it's, oh, it's, it's so, again, I mean, retroactively becoming a trans narrative makes that even harder to watch on some level uh, because it's very much the, the family does not want to accept who you really are on, in some ways. Um, and I think it's one of the reasons why I keep mentioning it, but, but the season three twist, no, it's not a twist. Uh, um, when Victor reveals his true uh, gender, um, it, it lands better because we've had two seasons of these characters trying to accept Victor as a, as a, as a, as a, as a, as a sibling. And so when that happens, it feels so much more earned than just, oh, I'm a man now. And we're going, okay, cool. That's great. No, it's, it's, there's, there's some struggle there when it happens and then eventually falls into place and everyone's perfectly fine with it. But the, all this buildup really helps sell that. And also it's not the CW level of shrill histrionics of like, I hate you. Well, no, these, these, they all love each other. And that's obvious from episode one, but they just can't stand each other. And that's a very <laughs> real complex human relationship. That's family. That's family. And before we go on though, I definitely want to mention the book because I think this is where we actually get to see uh, number seven's book and how it goes on sale, their impetus mm-hmm. to write it, and then how it quickly falls off to like 50% off and fewer and fewer people to listen. And being a creator that makes things, that hurt my soul. Yeah. As, as yeah. a personal note. Um, and and it, it, it says by implication what the comics are a little more on the nose about, which is that the reason why number seven did that was because during the time the book was selling is the only time that number seven felt special. And it tells through, it shows rather than tells that. And it almost lands harder by showing it because again, seeing number seven reading to a room full of people. And then a minute later, two people who clap politely and that's it. Um, And then, they continually, both before and after that reference, oh, aren't you the person who wrote the book? But then, again, uh, uh, the scene with uh, um, Luther, not Luther, uh, the, the the violin student, whose name I forgot already. Uh, but when uh, he's you know talking with number seven, and then 
Allison shows up and it's like, oh, you're the actor. You're in the movie. That's really great. And you wrote a book, right? And this is the person who supposedly likes her. Um, still just, just and, and, the, and the, the, the face is not, uh, uh, Elliot Page does a fantastic job of the, I am used to this. It hurts every time, but I'm still used to this is just amazing. And as as a viewer of, of and reader of many comic book things, and I've only seen three episodes, I have not read the comics, my first instinct is to think the person that came to number seven, instead of being one of the kids that they're teaching, is in fact a plant with a with an evil plan. That is that is my assumption <laughs> as as a conspiracy theorist and, and reader and viewer of many super superhero media. Yeah. I'm actually a bad glad shield that I agent. I'm actually glad we didn't skip ahead then because uh, um, I, I'm looking forward to seeing if you watch the rest of it and what you think of what happens. Because I won't, I won't actually spoil that much of that except for stuff that's been on the internet forever. Uh, anyway, uh, okay, to move on to episode three then. No, no, we have one okay. more thing we have to talk about: okay. the gunfight in the store oh. <laughs> where they blow up Lo- Dolores. Come on, yes. how could you skip that? Yes, the love of Five's life. Just blown in half. No. And, and, and he's, he's <laughs> devastated by this. And again, a, a 18, 19 year old actor trying to show grief over the love of his life for 30 plus years, who also happens to be a store mannequin. And he makes it believable. It's like you buy that moment. It's, it's, it's funny, but it's also not funny. Like, I mean, on some level, you have to, when you, when you spell it out, it's two time traveling assassins with animal heads are using machine guns to shoot down a store mannequin who's also a 13 year old boy's wife. And like, none of that sentence makes sense. And yet, you're, you buy into the, the heartbreak of it. Uh, to end on a slightly more serious note, it also then goes again to show the repercussions of all these, we'll use it, superheroes' actions is that Five got a guy in a, at the cafe that was just nice enough to buy, buy him a coffee kilt. Just in that person will probably never be thought of, really thought of again or mentioned after, after these three episodes, I assume. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it, it presents stakes in a very efficient way. And I think one of the way it presents those stakes is by going back to that gunfight a couple of times. Um, so you don't forget that this guy was killed. But that, that's it for me in the, the second episode. Other than okay. great music. All right, I'm done. Yes. Again, they might be giants. Episode three, Extraordinary. After Allison shows Luther the videotape of what looks like Grace, the sibling's android mother, serving poison tea to their father, the two ask their mother about the incident. The android claims to remember nothing about it, but the siblings suspect that she's hiding something. Vanya struggles with her violin skill, and she and Leonard get to know each other better. Number five starts an observation of the manufacturer of the prosthetic eye. Agnes, the waitress in the donut shop, describes the umbrella tattoo of number five to Cha-Cha and Hazel, leading them to the Hargreaves' house. As Luther and Allison gather to the rest of the siblings to watch the footage, Diego reveals he took the monocle from Grace after the funeral and threw it away. The siblings disagree on whether to turn off Grace or not. Cha-Cha and Hazel break into the Hargreaves' house and attack Luther, Diego, Allison, and Vanya, but flee and kidnap Klaus when the siblings fight back. Diego finally turns off Grace as she is totally oblivious to the fight and shows other malfunctions. 
And as I read this, I realized there was actually one more thing I didn't want to talk about season episode two briefly, but um, Klaus showing just how over the edge he was when they were jump for trading the prosthetic guy manufacturer, um, where he basically punches five and then smashes a snow globe into his face. Um, really helps to sell like he's in a lot of ways a, a, a pathetic character. He has a heroic tendency in a way, but it's 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 buried under all of this this damage. And so when he's captured at the end of this, there, there's a real kind of it's not it, it it's both a twist and also not surprising because like everybody else is relative even. Uh, number seven is relatively competent in their own sphere. And Klaus is just not. Klaus is just a mess. And so it's like, oh no, Klaus is captured. But also, of course, of all of these characters, it's probably Klaus that would have gotten captured. So it, it, it's a nice blend of inevitable and also a surprise at the end of this. Let's also take a beat though and point out that the amount of money that Klaus was going to be paid to do all that was $20. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 20 bucks. And five straight up takes advantage of him without even the slightest shred of remorse. Mm-hmm. Uh, but anyway, so we go to the footage um, and they start to have suspicions about mom. Uh, and uh, the fact that it's only like halfway through this episode that they even say that she's an android. It's implied because they go backwards and forwards in time and the actress is identical and has no makeup changes. So it looks like she's aged. And the uh, none of the family seems surprised by the fact that she looks the same. So on some level, it was implicit, but it's pretty subtle. And then in this episode, we finally learned that, you no, know, she's just a robot and she's breaking down. And the fact that none of the Umbrella Academy treat her as anything different. I mean, they're worried about her because she's breaking down. And they some of them want to turn her off, but more out of respect for her, right? It's it, it's it's a, a parallel of the euthanasia discussion, although they never quite go that deep. But it's it's very much the she's critically ill. Do we try to repair her or do we shut her off? Um, there, there's interesting kind of corollaries there, and this shows not afraid to present this extremely ludicrous concept extremely straight. It's like they had that conversation as they, as any family would about their parents. Uh, but the fact that she's a robot is just an incidental detail rather than a central point of it. No one ever says, well, she's just a robot. Nobody, nobody trots that premise out. Uh, uh, but everyone's, the fact she's a robot is just the, the source of the conflict as a parent, not because it's just a machine you can turn it off. And dig that. I also think a lot of that is not only because she was the one that raised him, but they are more of a, I'm not going to use found family. I could almost say purchase family with the villain of the show that pulled them <laughs> together, but they're a family that came together. And so there is a, a different feel there that they have to cling on to each other tighter, which also goes back and reinforces why they love and hate each other so much. They would do so much for each other. Mm-hmm. And she's just part of that. And that was very nice to see. Right, right. Complexity, uh, nuance. It's it's shocking how far those things go. Indeed. And, and uh, 
this show is really uncomfortable with not presenting anyone as being good or bad. But a lot of times when you have these, everyone's complex and nuanced, it, it, it slides into gritty, and so, which really is code for everyone's an asshole. Uh, but in this case, we do see every character brings something to the table. That's something that, that we can see positive. Even Hargraves, for the fact that he's obviously the villain of this whole piece, ultimately had a good intention, even if extremely badly implemented, which is that I want to bring these people together so that they can bring justice to the world. He wanted to create a superhero team. He wanted to solve some problem that he thought was an injustice. And we do see uh, the Justice or the Umbrella Academy in this episode actually in their prime, if you will, in a fight. Uh, you know, it's a bank robbery. It's a classic superhero thing. And we, of course, see each of their powers in an appropriate moment. And we see Ben's problem power implied as he goes behind a door and we see a shadow of a monster there. Um, but every character has a genuinely good part and a genuinely problematic part. Uh, and that makes all of them compelling. Uh, and so we're here at episode three. And I mean, yes, we've we've talked about plenty of shows where the Android character is one of the more sympathetic characters. So it's not a, necessarily a surprise, but you're right. The one playing Grace didn't have a ton of space to build this character up. And yet she took what little she had and really sold it. But to my earlier point, she's framed well too. It's the, she's presented as a kind of Stepford wives model mm -hmm. of fifties housewife. And that does a lot of heavy lifting to what her role is in the family. So that gives the actor the space to fill that with the emotion and love that this character needs to exude for us to buy into why people love this robot. And she does a really great job. And, and she also does a really good job of delivering her lines in a way that is always neutral. There, there's no emotional deviation in her lines. It's just that her emotional default is supportive and positive and peppy as opposed to monotone. So it's only, again, later on that you realize, oh, she never deviates from the space of just being supportive and loving of her family. And so that's why she's an android because she never moves from that. But it's she's the only character who is emotional and supportive besides Vanya. <laughs> so it seems unusual until it's pointed out to you. I, I would disagree with that somewhat. I would say that number two is also emotional and supportive, but it is cloaked under um, Batmanisms. But okay. also you constantly see the underwriting warmth and concern and care of that character. You get it from their interactions with Ma, with Grace, which is why yes. those scenes pop so well. You even get it when he comes in and says, number seven has to leave because it's dangerous. You can mm -hmm. take it as being an asshole, but it's someone that cares general, generally about their safety in making sure they do not die because they've just witnessed their mother let me rephrase that. They literally put down their own mother for their own benefit. Right. Like, and I'm, I'm glad you brought the, the Vanya line because that's a really good point. Um, so to go back, I should clarify, you're right. Unambiguously emotionally supportive um, where all of the other characters, I could argue, all of them are, are ambiguously supportive of their family. Um, but that one scene you talked about with, with Diego and Vanya is really great because the first words of his mouth are, you could have been killed 
there's a beat and it goes, Angel would have screwed us up and then walks away, right? It, it, so it's like mm-hmm. he almost as an afterthought, oh yeah, I should be mad at you. But his first instinct, the first thing out of his mouth is you could have been killed. Mm-hmm. And the way the actor, again, portrayed that was just pitch perfect timing um, because it, 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 you still get the anger on that second bit of the line. You still get that heat and it's still real, but you, you, you very clearly see, okay, he does love his family. And that's maybe part of the reason why he has become Ursat's Batman. Which part of it also then goes into the fact, is he actively trying to push them all away intentionally mm-hmm. so they're not hurt by these actions? Uh, we also kind of glossed over, and there's so many good subplots in this, um, um, him, his obviously former relationship with the police detective and also separately his continual inter- interfering with crime scenes and the police <laughs> detective doing the thing you never see in superhero stories of like, you're interrupting a chain of evidence. Please stop doing this. You're making my job harder. <laughs> But then you also get the beat of when there's something that she can't do herself. She gives him the go ahead to go do what he's been doing anyway. Right, right, right. But those again, a little line of like, um, I think she says something to the effect of, "You may have missed this when you before you were kicked out of the police academy." So Diego did try to become a cop and then washed out, which again solves another superhero trope problem of the, the reason why he's detective is that he was literally trained to be a detective. He just chose to work outside the law for whatever reason. Um, and there's a lot of, of complex stuff with that, but it, it, it does a good job of balancing the things. It's the, these are superhero tropes on some level. You have to accept them to get the story we're trying to tell you, but we are going to do the work to try to fill in gaps where we can to get you there. So, so we can give you enough that you can hang the rest on, which again, Jupiter's legacy just completely failed to do. It, it didn't, it didn't meet us halfway. Umbrella Academy is continually trying to meet us halfway. And, and one of the places which we see a little bit more in this episode is that um, time we're, we're trying to, we're slowly figuring out what the time travel rules are. And that's something I think a lot of time travel shows ultimately do with At some level, you have to spend the time to figure out what the time travel rules are. Doctor Who is perhaps an exception, but that's because the time travel rules are, eh, and you move on. Um, but every other time travel show ultimately has to come to, come to the conclusion. And what the show is kind of pointing us towards, which is fascinating, is that time travel changes nothing. Um, because we keep seeing the kind of, episode two was kind of the, this eye hasn't been invented yet. Uh, and so it's like, you know, we have six days to find out who gets their eye gouged out, and then we can that's the person who causes all of this. Uh, but like everything that happens seems to slowly be causing the thing that five are trying to stop. Uh, and so there's a certain kind of doomed inevitability to everybody, to the whole family as a result of this. And by having that frame of us knowing there's an apocalypse extremely early on, it's not just, okay, this is a weird quirky drama. This is the, on some level, does, does any of this stuff matter? And the answer is yes, it does matter because these characters matter. But this show with easily half the budget and arguably you know, the same cast as Jupiter's Legacy sells that and earns that so much better because they, they put their time where it matters. Uh, I mean, yes, 
there are some fights. We do see a, 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 the, the, when Cha-Cha and Hazel break into the mansion, we see something close to a superhero fight at that stage. We're starting to see some actual interesting choreography. Um, we see some of the powers being used in combat circumstances. We interestingly see Allison refuse to use her powers. Uh, but the fact that Allison is a badass, regardless of her not using her mind control powers, really shows, yes, these people spent a lot of years as crime fighters. That that really sells that. Um, but the fact that it spends time, Vanya's not in those fights. And we repeatedly reinforced that she was never part of the team. And so they spend time trying to get her out. Uh, and the fact that uh, Five is not really there because Five wasn't really there because five was dead so it's really just the four of them that are left to actually do the actual fighting is really interesting we're seeing the character dynamics mm. even in the combat so four of them doing the fighting ben's dead mm. oh sorry five you're right no no five five was gone ben's dead and vanya was never part of the team so yeah four who are you counting as your fourth there's uh all right now, now i'm gonna check my list make sure i got this right uh, so number one, Luther was there. Diego was fighting. there. Allison was there. Fighting. Like, Klaus, fighting. Klaus, like, Klaus was in the fight. Let's put it that way. <laughs> you know where I was going. You knew where I was present. going. Klaus was, was in the tub listening to music while Five was shouting at him. For Klaus, that is the best you can hope for. <laughs> and but anyway, then we have... So. Uh, but again, like the, the, uh, Klaus, it, Klaus was used really well because like initially the... the, the and I and I complained about this in a previous episode. The whole the the uh, trope of person with with headphones can't possibly hear a gunfight happening around them. It annoyed me when uh, that I forget which, which show it was, but the entire supermarket got shot up, um, and the guy was playing uh, Doom and couldn't hear anything. Uh, oh no, it was Gross by Blank. Let me do the Gross by Blank. So if you're not a Patreon listener, you don't know what I'm talking about. So you should back to Patreon <laughs> so you can understand what episode I'm talking about. Um, uh, but in that case, it, it bothered me, but also it was, a, it was a, it was a joke, right? That was the comedy of it. So I accepted it because it was comedy here. It didn't bother me because I genuinely believe Klaus wasn't paying attention because we've built up this character as someone who is in his own world in a pretty regular amount of time. And so when he kind of disappears from the fight, you just figure, oh, well, narrative, we're no longer interested in Klaus. So we stopped looking at him. No, he was actually abducted at that point in time. So it, it was a great way to kind of, Klaus had a role in the fight. His role was to be the damsel. But the fact that A, it was a male presenting person that was a damsel, and B, the fact that we established that he had plenty of opportunities to leave and just didn't, is his own funny but also tragic character arc. I, I, I loved it. It was great. <laughs> There's an really lot to say. Although, back to number two, we've been saying Batman-esque I would challenge that now that I've thought about it a little bit and say that it is number two is either a less well-adjusted Nightwing or a very well-adjusted Jason Todd. I mean, that's fair. Um, uh, particularly given some interpretation of Dick Grayson, uh, uh, he, he could be more even directly analogous to Dick Grayson in a lot of ways. And um, I say that specifically because each Jason Todd and uh, Dick Grayson are both more well-adjusted than Bruce Wayne. Boom, Batman fans. I'm out. <laughs> well, I'm also being the uh, 
Number two. Kid of a very rich eccentric who was a crime fighter who's trying to find his own role in life certainly maps to those a little better. And literally being number two. Yeah, right. Uh, I'm trying to think, is there anything else? Uh, also, um, the uh, the footage. I love the fact that there's a, a mini mystery that happens from the end of episode two to kind of the middle of episode three of like, what did what did Grace do? Did Grace kill him? How did he die? Like, and like, where's his monocle? Monocle's missing. And it's like, no, Diego just took it and threw it away. Um, and his whole reason was because you would be in my face like you're doing now. So that entire subplot was in one way completely pointless, but in another way, it's beautiful because it's ex- exactly superhero nonsense, right? It's like, this must be a clue. And number one is following superhero tropes completely. And, they, and, and he's like, no, this, this must be, that's how these things work. I know how these things work. And Diego is just like, I'm just so tired of this. I'm just throwing away. He's like the worst detective ever. Um, and it's, 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 it's great that it's in some ways making fun of these kind of superhero tropes, but it's also reinforcing them because then it's followed by a massive gunfight because that's how these things work. So it's the, we're poking a little bit at super tropes, but it's not full deconstruction like Jupiter's legacy. We're still a superhero show and we still embrace these things, even if we're walking right up the line and occasionally stepping a foot over. And one thing I didn't want to bring up for the entire show, and I'm not sure if it was like this in the comic, but as it was a point that I definitely brought up in Jupiter's legacy and some of other shows is the fact that the cast is so diverse and has marginalized people with predominant roles that are not in the backseat for other characters. And they give them positives and negatives to all their own personalities and goals and motivations. Yeah. Top um, notch. I'm going to, I'm going to say the comic is not as diverse as the show. Yeah. This is one place where Netflix does it better. Um, but you're absolutely right. Um, there are a lot of people of color here. Again, I mean, it's very blind. So, I mean, there's a certain amount of awesome that comes with it, but I mean, to have a, Badass time traveling assassin, just be a, a dark skinned black woman is fantastic. Mm-hmm. And that was nice and refreshing to see. And it wasn't mm-hmm. a big point for the show. They didn't beat you over your head with it, other than they were there on screen being awesome and sometimes being assholes. Um, I also like the fact that Allison is the quote unquote pretty one. Um, which is something again you don't see very often. Women of color in that role of being the the popular, sexy, beautiful woman. Mm-hmm. And so, I, I loved it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree completely. Top notch. Um, and we talked already about the um, just heartbreaking scene with Diego and Grace. Um, like the fact that she helped him with his stutter. Um, which was never a thing we saw before this episode. And then he starts to stutter again. And it's not because he's stuttering. It's just emotion. He, she choked on emotion. But she immediately goes back to that line. And because she's a robot, she delivers it exactly the same way that she did, you know, 15 years ago or whatever. Um, and it's it's just amazingly heartbreaking. You feel for Diego, who, to be blunt, to this point, has largely been positioned as the asshole of the team. And now it's like you feel for him. And, and to be fair, I mean, at this point, like you said, by episode three, you probably have an emotional connection to just about every member of the family. Uh, episode one, introduce them all. By episode three, you're rooting for 
all of them on some level. Uh, even if some of them's like, Klaus, seriously get therapy, you know, or um, Vanya, please, you're amazing. Stop beating yourself up. You know, some of this is like, you know, I want to help you, kid, kind of emotions, but all of them, you want, you want this family to succeed in spite of Hargreaves, frankly, but you still want them to succeed. Um, he's not the family. If they're not the family he created. They have become a new family and you want that family to do well. Uh, and yes, there are time traveling assassins. Yes. There's an apocalypse in six days. That's almost kind of secondary to the plot. That's the <laughs> hooker and the heat that pushes these characters together. But this is the show that shamelessly made me rip off uh, starting some of my campaigns with a funeral because it's such a strong hook if done well. Uh, I don't know if I've done it well. I, I argue maybe I, I did it badly a couple of times, but it's it's such a great moment. And this show just builds from that. It, it does a really good job of flashing back like like Trooper's Legacy did, but they do it much more sparingly. They, they, there's one flashback per episode and it's pretty short. It gives you exactly what you need, no more, but it's just, it, it, it's, it's efficient. Um, the scene of Grace uh, helping all the kids get into their costumes while the alarm's going off did so much. It gave her a tiny moment with every single member of the family in a way that shows why they all love her. And also simultaneously, in all of that, shows Hargreaves being a dismissive jerk the entire time. <laughs> um, and again, she had that special moment with Diego, which is the whole point of that scene, but so much is done and that scene was like what four minutes at most um and again they're doing stuff like they're wearing leather outfits that so much look like the x-men outfits from early 2000s movies (laughs) so it's like you 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 watch the same media we have you get we're going here we don't have to explain it they're slightly older they've established themselves as a team now they have the leather suits they're in their grant morrison phase let's just move on with our lives we know we all know what's (laughs) happening here because flashbacks should be a dash of salt, not a main ingredient or a topping, just sprinkle. And also should not involve an island. Well, it depends on the island. <laughs> so far, every island-based flashback has not been great for us, Chris. <laughs> Krakoa would have some issues with your statement. Well, yes, Krakoa is, 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 is a pretty, pretty flower, and I will never disparage Krakoa because Krakoa will eat me. Uh, so, any final thoughts of the show as a whole? I really enjoyed it. It is something that I will try to watch given my very busy schedule and doing this podcast, watching in the media. I'm going to try to squeeze in an episode a week. Awesome. I, I look forward to hearing what you think of it. Uh, as for me, like I said, um, it's been pretty clear. This is probably one of my favorite superhero shows that's currently out and still getting episodes. It's final season has been announced, which is both amazing and sad. Uh, but I respect shows that can go out in their own terms because way too many are canceled before their prime and way too many go on longer than they need to. Uh, so being able to say, nope, there were four seasons of the comic or if there are four seasons of the show and we're just ending it there, I respect that. Um, are, are those shows that choose to go out on their own note but then are lured back by money for another 12 seasons? Looking at you, Supernatural. Oh, I, I, thought, you, I, thought, I thought that was a um, Twin Peaks reference there. <laughs> Oh, no, no. No, uh, Dave Lynch came back because he had a a vision. I may not agree with his vision for the return, but he had a vision. (laughs) That's all supernatural. Ended season five, but you're going to give us that much more money? We're back for seasons 12 through 13 or whatever it was. Um, Yeah, yeah. I, I, that's, 
some shows just need to stop. Uh, um, that's one of them. But this is this is this is when the Netflix formula really hits, and it's one of the reasons it's almost frustrating about Netflix is because they have enough money that they can just keep trying shows. And eventually, one hits, um, and so when you have one like this, where it's like, okay, this really hits, then they're going to try to endlessly iterate in this formula, and not all those are going to be hits. But this just there's there's problems. I mean, we, we certainly touched yeah. on a couple of them, uh, um, and certainly the uh, some of the special effects get a little ropey. Uh, but again, when your most when your splashiest superpower is teleporting, uh, there's not a ton you have to get you have to get wrong really there. Um, and the fact that they're basically in plain clothes for large parts of the show, it's okay. You can, you can spend that money on the the moonscape, and if it looks a little dodgy, eh, whatever, it's fine. Uh, and and yeah, the pacing is a bit slow. Uh, I mean, we, we talked about that a little bit um, compared to some of the fast paced stuff. It, it, it definitely is a slower burn, especially because we've walked three episodes in sequence as opposed to bouncing around. So that's a little more obvious, but also I think you can see now if I had say, we'll do one, four and six, you would have missing so much. It probably would have been incomprehensible to you. Yeah. For this so definitely. It's slow, but also they're packed full of information. Uh, so uh, with all that said, um, what's, slow burning action packed information dense show we're going to watch next week next week we're watching the umbrella academy episodes four through six no no we're uh this is the umbrella academy podcast now we're done <laughs> we're we're jumping over to titans titans Ooh. season one episode one surprisingly called titans titans uh season one episode five together and i had some issues, some problems debating between which ones to watch, but I chose together instead of another one because of something else we're doing later this season. And okay. we're going to wrap it out with season one, episode eight, Donna Troy. Okay. And uh, it looks like in the US, you get that HBO Max. On UK, it's on Netflix. So, so far, I've had side good note, just all of these being on Netflix. <laughs> side note of interest and correction there is no longer a thing called HBO Max. Oh, sorry. You can it's potentially just still see it on Max. But I'd suggest watching it sooner than later. Right, right, right. Because Max is doing great. It's doing great. <laughs> doing fine. Certainly isn't losing episodes constantly. No. And they didn't just kick off a whole bunch of classic movies. Right. Oh, God. Uh, so, um, next week we will uh, be watching uh, the the explicitly labeled gritty reboot of Titans here on Genreless. Until then, we'll, oh, uh, if you want to talk to me, you can find me at pugstudy.com. That's my website. That's P-U-G-S-T-A-D-Y. You can find me on Twitter or dice.camp, also at pugstudy. You can also find me at the Darker Hue Discord, where right now we are talking about, actually not talking about much, it's just Chris posting random pictures from TV shows and comic book panels and making me guess what that guy's talking about. That's really what's going on <laughs> at the moment. Uh, we're gonna find some people you, would call that some people would call that the great game, but uh, if you're not. looking for me, <laughs> that that's a, a Falkenstein joke for all you Falkenstein players. Um, <laughs> if you're looking for me, you can still find me on Twitter at dark underscore hue. You can find me on my website at darkerstudios.com, or you can find me in the Discord debating what topic we should really talk about now that Eddie's back. That's that's true. Or, or what speechless uh, show we should do? So. It's, uh, or 
or if you're looking for me, you can also find me likely in the movie theater watching Across the Spider-Verse again for the umpteenth time. So, yeah, we should talk about that at some point because I haven't seen it yet, but I have heard really good things and surprising things, and I'm looking forward to watching it at some point. And it eventually gets over here. An extra beat for you folks. It is the best Spider-Man movie to date, in my opinion. Which is impressive because the first Spider-Verse movie was my favorite Spider-Man movie to date, so... I look forward to that. So we will catch you all next week where we talk about Spider-Man. No, wait, Titans. Titans, That's what we're talking about. We're talking about Titans. See you there. Peace seeing you.